Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ace Comicals, episode number 88. And today we are here to discuss Batman The Long Halloween. Um, before we get to that, though, uh, I am joined by my co-host, as always, Ray and Leon. Hey, Greg. Mm-hmm. And today we have a couple of special guests. Uh, these are the guys from the Story X Story, uh, the Mayamada podcast, Story X Story. Uh, we have Nigel and Tazzy. Hello. Hello. Yeah, Ooh, so, um, all good. All good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad today. Yeah, right. so <laughs> this is kind of like, because I appeared on Story X Story and did a guest spot with them, and we talked about um, The Dark Knight, and now we're going to talk about the comic that The Dark Knight is heavily based on, <laughs> and I've got <laughs> you guys over here now to talk to us on his comicals. It's like one big crossover so, thing. The other yeah, side of the so, coin. Yep. Ah, <laughs> Other side of the coin, yeah. There. Yeah. So we're, we're the scratch side, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Nigel, um, you want to tell the Ace Comical listeners what you do? Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm the co-founder of Mayamara and um, largely make comics. Well, actually, most of the time is writing emails, but uh, occasionally I find time to uh, make comics, manga comics specifically. So Mayamara is a universe of characters and stories, and we have different stories um, that we produce. Uh, we also run a video game event called Gamepad, uh, and I before the pandemic, uh, did workshops with, with young people in, in schools around storytelling and creativity. And uh, Tazzy? So I work with my mother on the Story X Story podcast and also with Gamepad, mm-hmm. but I am mainly a content creator. I mainly stream on Twitch, but you'll find me on like every platform that content is created pretty much. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, so... Uh, yeah, like generally speaking, how has everybody been? Because I think is this like now the fifth episode we've done during lockdown? I can't, I can't count anymore. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what, what even is time? You know. Um, so it's I think it's always a been lockdown. Yeah, I think I didn't I think... have much concept of time before lockdown either. So now it's completely out of whack. <laughs> I think this might be the fifth episode we've done. So what has everybody been doing in between times to kind of keep busy? So like this is like the little update segment we would normally do, I guess. But yeah, it's it's going to be a bit different this time because it's not like we can go out and about and hit the cinema and things, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah. So um, guests, guests go first, I, I, I suppose. So guests up first. So how have you been keeping yourself busy? What, what kind of things have you been doing? What sort of media have you been consuming? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I have been, yeah, a bit more Netflix, just a little bit more, um, just watching some stories. Uh, been actually just uh, watching The Last Dance on Netflix. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but it's... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's been really, really impressed with that. Um, just as a kind of 
a bit of a basketball fan uh, sort of more recently. Uh, so interested in sort of the historical aspect of that particular season and the legend around Michael Jordan. So I've uh, been doing that, been um, working on writing stories. So one of the things that the sort of pandemic lockdown uh, phase we're in right now has, has given me is that just like time to think about and write our next manga story. So been enjoying that process as well. Cool. <laughs> Um, I've been doing a lot of troubleshooting. <laughs> uh, all my technology just seems to not want to work for me at the moment. Um, but yeah, I've, I've like watched quite a bit of Netflix. To be fair, I've probably watched less Netflix uh, series and more films because my friends have been doing a lot of movie nights, a lot more than we'd normally do um, because we're like, well, they they need to keep their sanity. <laughs> so every evening they're like, movie? Um and then I've been playing a lot, a lot of Animal Crossing. <laughs> it came out very wrong. A lot of Animal Crossing. And um, I started The Witcher 3, finally. Like, uh, I've been meaning to play this game for so long and everyone's so shocked I'd never played it before this. But lockdown kind of gave me the, I don't know, the motivation I needed to actually stick my teeth into it. Nice. Um, yeah, Ray, what you been up to? Yeah, I've I've also been doing a lot of secondhand animal crotching. Sorry, crossing. Um, <laughs> so like my animal my crocheting. That's what you know. What I kind of actually want to get into some crocheting because I need something else to do with my hands. Um, so like a couple of things that I've started on lockdown, which I can't even remember if I've talked about on cast, but like I've got really into buying freshly roasted coffee beans and then grinding them. And I just literally just half an hour ago bought a really expensive grinder. And like now I'm slightly having buyer's remorse, but I don't have the brain capacity to think about it because I have to do this podcast. <laughs> I might I might love it. It's, it's great having like fresh coffee beans and doing that thing and having something which is a bit of a ritual every morning, which, you know, as somebody who grew up religious and then lost it i feel like it's replacing prayers for me in a way like i've just stood there for 10 minutes grinding by hand grinding these beans just in a circular motion um but maybe i'm making spurious connections there um, apart from that i've been playing a lot of like i've been playing bloodborne uh with yeah. friend of the cast marvin and a couple of people at work and that's been really good because like i never thought i would enjoy that game but there's something about like this repetitive loop that is really satisfying while I'm stuck at home and can't really do anything. I think there's something something there which I haven't quite figured out. And then I've also been doing the... Um, I think I, I was going to say it as, like, the souls born of, like, adult life, which is basically baking, because you just have to keep performing the same thing over and over again, failing at it, failing at it, failing at it. Suddenly it's right. And then you get really bored of the simple thing that you've done. And then you have to move on to the next stage and do it all over again and be really shit at it and then improve and improve and improve. Like, But I've been, yeah, I've been doing a lot of like the, the cliched bread baking and making naan breads and pepla and rotli and stuff. And Baking's a roguelike, is it? That's how it feels to me. Like, cause, <laughs> like, like when I play Dead Cells where I... I hated it at the start and then I got really good and I improved and then I only ever wanted to play the opening couple of levels because that's where my comfort zone was and then I realized I was kind of bored of it and you want to move on but yeah so next I want to try making pastries or something I guess but that's why I was saying I want something to do in my hands like crocheting something new and satisfying but from the start because like the start yeah. of a new hobby is always the most exciting bit because then once you have to commit and like genuinely do something genuinely impressive that's when it gets hard and i bail out but what's that japanese yeah. thing 
uh, it, it's crocheting, um, but it's like it's a it's a specifically Japanese form of crocheting where you make small characters. Hamara gumi, something something like that. Yeah, that contains it, yeah. those sounds. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Something that's, like enough, that. that's enough from me, though. Yeah, that's that's. I, what think, I think that might be good for you. I was going to say, I, I don't think you've lost religion. I think you've just found a new god. Yeah, well, I can't go to the cinema and pray there anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's what because coffee is your god now. <laughs> I'm okay with that. It keeps me up. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, Leon, how have you been occupying yourself? Uh, occupying myself. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a deep uh, a deep uh, question, Greg. But um, <laughs> uh, with my time, and oh, no, time sort of is blurring into one. Um, I'm still playing Breath of the Wild, still playing Warzone, and still playing, uh, well, uh, got back into GTA again because, unrelated to it recently being free, I've been playing it with some old work colleagues and, like, claiming my free money that the game gives. Uh, but it's it's weird to go back and forth between those games because in Breath of the Wild and in Warzone... If you're on like a ledge or you're high up, you can jump off and like got your glider or parachute. And then going back to GTA and forgetting that, it's awful. Like I've just woken up at the hospital a lot of times with that little bit of money gone. Oh wow! <laughs> I've been. Uh, oh, I'm just gonna say. Other yeah. than that, um, I haven't been watching as many movies since the last podcast. Like I think before I was like chaining some movies, but like I'm in a weird period where a lot of my favorite TV shows that were running have finished like uh, devs and Westworld. All I've got left is weekly is uh, the last dance, which I've spoken of before. And yeah, you're in that period where it's just like, ah, uh, there's all these movies, which I'm just not in the mood for. Uh, so then I've been doing the the bad thing, which is like, um, it's like procrastination TV because, so like The Rise of Skywalker was on Disney Plus, but instead of <laughs> instead of actually watching The Rise of Skywalker, I watched the um, the documentary uh, extra on <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> um, I can't remember the name of it, but like it, it's actually really good, and in some ways it's better than the movie. It's it's like a big celebration of like filmmaking, and it goes like super deep into um, like how they constructed a bunch of things and like various different ideas. It, it, it is weird uh, watching that. And then after I did watch the movie and it's like, oh man, like if someone spent eight months making this little thing that's on screen for half a second in, in this awful sequence. And it's like, uh, like it just feels so wasteful. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and then, other than that, I also uh, watched the um, the documentary. I think it's called "The Director and the Jedi," which is the special documentary on the the Last Jedi, and that mm. one's pretty good as well. And um, more honest in a way, it feels less like uh, we're all friends here having a good time, and it it does show like rifts between like Mark Hamill and Ryan Johnson, but uh, them sort of getting like. Uh, getting on the same path towards the end of the project but yeah it's like if you don't want to do anything and you've exhausted youtube videos then go into the extras of movies you've already seen and watch that stuff yeah movie uh, extras on dvds and blu-rays are usually something that i pass over or get forgotten about and like 
or or I'll watch it once and then not really pay it much mind. But you bring up a good point there. I now feel guilty for all the like special versions of stuff that I've got sitting on my shelf where I've never touched the extras disc. I think that's the thing I miss the most from the digital yeah. age is not having those things available. Well, at least easy, easily available mm. to hand. Yeah. So like my time has been occupied by, I'm going to bounce off the last Skywalker thing by saying, um, is it the last, is it the rise of Skywalker? Rise isn't of Skywalker. It? Not the last guy, not the last Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm confusing two movie titles, but yeah. So I, 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 we've been like, well, Sophie has been doing like a star Wars marathon and going back through all the star Wars films from starting with episode one and doing it, in in like in timeline order i guess throughout because we, we had a bit of an argument about this on friday evening didn't we about what is was it fr- yeah friday evening about what is uh why would you what bring is chronological order why would you bring up the thing where leon was right and we were wrong why would you do that <laughs> no i'm glad to hear it the, the listeners so, need to hear was it was it chronological is it chronological order i think it is isn't it we agree in it the is. end leon was right and it was yeah so she's been watching the films in chronological order well, 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 well. okay like so i i think do i really want to get into this i've i've asked a bunch of people and some people have said chronological means the order of release in like real real time so like four five six one two three seven eight nine which is what i thought it was and a lot of other people are saying that chronological means narrative chronological meaning episodes one yeah. two three four five six seven eight nine that's, yeah. um, it's done. That's what I'm going to say on it. <laughs> Narrative chronological. Your 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 friends got very deep into it, Ray, from what you were telling me. <laughs> very deep. Well, bunch so... of nerdy analysts. That's what I can, I can expect. Yeah. Um, other than that, I've been reading a ton of comics, which will surprise no one. Um, I've like recently purchased all of Hellboy digitally, so I've been like working my way back through that. Um, I bought the um, the All Red Bowie book, which I sort of mention every so often. Like I'd been mentioning that I wanted to get it, and now I've got it. It's basically like a um, a biography, um, David Bowie's career, life, etc., in comic form, done by the masterful Mike Alred. Um, so. Eventually, I'm going to get to talk about that uh, it properly when we next do. I think the, when we next do an episode where we just kind of shoot the breeze about random comics, I'll, I'll bring that up. Um, I bought some Daniel Warren Johnson comics recently that have just been shipped to me today. They've just arrived from Amazon. So I got a book called Space Mullet, um, which is a Daniel Warren Johnson comic, which is based on a webcomic. Or it's, well, it is a webcomic. It's a collection of a webcomic. It's the first four chapters of that. And that's volume one. Um, there's eight chapters of it in total online at the moment. Um, when they re- I can't find a volume two anywhere, but when they do release a volume two, I'll be getting that. And uh, I also bought um, something that was is published by Image Comics called Ghost Fleet, which is Donny Cates and Daniel Warren Johnson. Um, so that's uh, something else that I'm going to be diving into and checking out. And that the both quite hefty books so i'm looking forward to diving into those and being able to talk about them because it's daniel warren johnson and his art's gorgeous anyway and then the added bonus of the fact that donny cates writes one of them and donny cates is absolutely fantastic um if you go back through the ace comicals episodes you'll see i've spoken about um a lot of his stuff like god country redneck etc so um 
yeah looking forward to diving into those and also because i like we we like playing board games me and sophie but the problem is most of the board games we own you'd need like at least three people to make the game work so what i've had to do is i've had to um what i've done is i've gone looking for games that where you can play it with just two people like a couple of board games so i've bought three board games today that i'm waiting for to arrive which will probably be arriving tomorrow um again on amazon because i'm addicted to amazon (laughs) at the moment this is like where i get everything i mean i can't get anything anywhere else at the minute i suppose i can't just walk into a board game shop or anything but um these are um these were pretty cool looking board games that they're pretty chill looking um and like two two or more players so they work very well with two players which is something that me and sophie need because at the moment we've realized we've only got one board game that works with two players and that's a game called takanoko um that's the only one in our collection that works with two players because we've got things like katan and everything else but you need more than two players so i've purchased three board games today i bought a game called reef um which is about building a coral reef um and you have to build a more beautiful coral reef than your opponent basically is the idea of the game from the looks of it it looks really interesting and really fun really colorful and really chill um another one i bought is called photosynthesis which uh, is a game about being a tree which i thought was quite interesting um you you basically have to take over the board with your trees and you can put your trees in a way that they cast shadow over everyone else's trees and stop the sun from getting to their trees and things like that. Um, it's again, quite a chill game about being a tree. Uh, <laughs> and then there's another game I bought called Everdell and there's a bit of a running theme here cause these are all really chill and really serene. Everdell is about, um, imagine, I guess like a board game about, sylvanian families because these are like little like woodland creatures that live in settlements and you have to you're you are like building a settlement for a group of critters so i I think the idea is from the looks of it you get to choose like whether you want to be squirrels or mice or badgers or something and then you just like you build like a little settlement like these this like fantasy anthropomorphic like woodland creature type thing which sounds cool um so I'm looking forward to cracking those open and giving those a go tomorrow night, or at least one of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ray, you talk about buyer's remorse because you spent all that money on a coffee grinder. <laughs> I've just gone and spent like 120 quid on board games. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of thing you need to keep sane these days, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've yeah, got so that's, one recommendation that's to add to that. Um, yeah. Me and Anna have been playing Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which is not really a board game. It's more like tabletop uh, mystery kind of thing. We've only got mm. a, a part way into it. So it's basically you get um, a list of rules on how to play the game. And then what it comes with is a map of London, um, a bunch of newspapers that are arranged chronologically. Uh, and then you get a bunch of case files that also occur chronologically. And then for each case file, you pick up the newspaper that is associated with that case file. And then you you have to figure out like what happened, who did it, blah, 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 using all the rules. And then the deeper you get into the game, the, like the second case file will use that week's or that month's um, newspaper and the one before it. So you slowly amass this like 
glut of information that you can refer back to and things that happen in previous cases can affect future cases and stuff like that and it's it's interesting it works really well for two players because it's always one person reading the stuff one person consulting the directory or like trying to figure out where to go do next you know or some taking yeah. turns to take notes and stuff and that one's that one's interesting if you like something chill that you just you can sit on the couch and sort of read the paper and discuss the uh, discuss the case it's quite nice cool. There was a Sherlock Holmes game I was looking at today, actually. Um, I think it's just, um, I think it's literally just called 221 Baker Street. Okay. And it sounds very similar to that because you move around the board, but as you move around the board, you solve cases. And the first person to make a circuit around London, I think, solving and, and solve so many cases and return to 221 Baker Street and announce who the killer is or whatever is the winner. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this sounds yeah. quite different. Like it's the same theme, but it's a different concept because you're, yeah. you're co-oping on discussing all the information. It's not like a a board with pieces or anything. Oh, cool. Okay, that sounds cool. Have to check that out. Um, so I guess we should probably move into the comics now, being as this is a comics podcast. So we are here primarily today to discuss the Long Halloween, which is one of my favorite Batman books. Um, it is, I'm, I'm, you know, like I, I, I'm pretty biased here, but I'm going to say it's a seminal masterpiece (laughs) as far as Batman comics go, because I I think this is a fantastic book. Um, it is a definitive Batman story. It's one of a pantheon of highly acclaimed and what tend to be considered essential Batman books alongside things like, uh, Batman year one, Hush, Dark Knight Returns. It's up there with those kind of books. It's the kind of bookshelfy one that you see in. Um, it's not. It's not something that's confined to comic stores. It's somewhere that's out there amongst wider literature. This is just. This is just a, a comic that I love to talk about, and we'll talk about at any given opportunity. Um, and I think um, a couple of you guys feel the same, Leon Ray. First, uh, Nigel Tersey. How do you guys? What's What's your general yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of because when we were talking about the Dark Knight and um, sort of this came up and uh, sort of realizing how important it is to that film, having now read it, I sort of understand. Uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> I understand why, uh, and it now makes me want to go back and uh, watch the Dark Knight again just to see how they've like translated uh, one story from the other. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, because it it gives you like a whole new lens to sort of view the movie through, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, because we're we're coming onto this from the fact that we've recently watched and discussed um, the the Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan movie. Um, that's a story x story episode that you can head over and listen to. Um, and this sort of like coming off the back of that, this is where this conversation comes from. Um, so this is kind of like the comic that I read going into watching that film to give context to that film. And I think when I actually originally saw the dark Knight at the cinema, I had, um, I'd had this book, um, already before that and, and, and read it a couple of times before the movie came out. And I think I didn't, instantly put two and two together but then like it started to knit together in my head and by the time the the movie came out on dvd and i had it on dvd and blu-ray and things like that i yeah so the two are are almost one for me Mm. most of the time but i mean there are 
obviously there are there are like differences and, and things like that and, and the movie does adapt it adapts the comic but then adds to it which is something else we already mentioned on the other podcast um where it will adapt the movie and then add parts of other batman stories to that to the mix yeah um and it's always interesting yeah, to see how those decisions were, were made like what to yeah what to take on what to leave out um depending on what is needed for i guess in in the case of the film what's needed for that yeah. story Exactly, yeah, and it, and it's safe to say that this book has had like a bit of an impact and an influence on subsequent Batman stories, comics, movies, and especially the Dark Knight, and also games. And it kind of like reverberates throughout the Batman mythos, and it's gone on to be sort of like one of the main tales that has shaped Batman going forward, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, um, Tazzy, with first impressions, what did you think? Um, oh, I'm not a massive comic book reader. Like, I'm trying to get into more comic books um because i find them kind of hard to follow uh but this was really easy to follow maybe it is because of the knowledge i have already from the films um but it surprised me like in this the joke is not really that present um yeah i don't know it's a bit it seems to be more about harvey dent um yeah that's kind of kind of it <laughs> like the first time i read it i had the same reaction because i wasn't that au fait with batman and stuff when i first picked it up and like i remember being having that same feeling of being surprised that the the quote-unquote like usual cast weren't present and it's because we've kind of been indoctrinated into thinking that the joker has to be in every single batman story mm. um but for my part like the thing that i I remember not liking this book that much the first time I read it. And this time I tried not to focus on uh, the plot and the theme because, like, I didn't have the headspace for it anyway. But I tried to focus on, like, uh, like what you just mentioned, the um, the things that has been, like, inherited by other, other forms of Batman stories. And, like, it's really interesting, like, focusing on the stuff that the Dark Knight specifically has taken from it. And I think for that, like, it... <laughs> Not that I want to attribute value to those things, but I think there's a lot of value in this book because of the um, the things that it sets up for other stories to take on. I think that's where I admire the most about it, um, which I know sounds quite critical in the grand scheme, but I think it's because I'm trying to find a nice way to be critical because I actually I don't have super strong positive feelings about this book. And I really want to hear what you guys think in both aspects, like both the comic in and of itself, because it's really hard for me to look back on this as like a seminal classic from the 90s but divorced of any of the other stories or any of the other like you know overflowing plethora of movies and books and whatever that we have of batman i want to hear why you guys specifically like the comic and then also like what's taken from it going into the movie yeah um leon you got any initial thoughts you want to share um yeah i guess so so for me um I think I read this book in the early noughties the first time. Mm. And I'd already read um, a few other of the, like the seminal classics that we refer to. So like, yeah, when Dark Knight Returns, um, Arkham Asylum, stuff like that. And going into this, it was um, like in context of of when it was, it, it was, it was a cool read because it was a time where it's like, oh, they've managed to work in like all these different like rogues and stuff like that. And it's a cool portrayal. It's a, it's a cool sort of, 
semi-grounded portrayal of like the birth of Two Face, which which I thought was cool. And um, yeah, it's a story that I don't know. It it, it felt like it, it really fit um, the that sort of detect detective feel Batman that I've been missing because in this period of time, uh, my Batman fix had been positively refreshed by like the comics I was reading and Batman TAS um, and reruns of Batman TAS, but then negatively affected by the Schumacher movies that we, mm. we had at the time, because this was in oh, the yeah. period bet- before we got Batman Begins. So I, at that time I was hungry for a, like a let Batman be Batman type thing. Like, <laughs> and not just like brooding, gritty, blah, blah, but I, I love the, like, so that like, the cartoon's got quite like gothic art deco-y type look. And I, I kind of like how this leans more into like like film noir and and uh, yeah, I was a big like uh super film nerd at the time. I mean still am, but I was yeah. in like that film student mode. Uh so it's like it was it was it, it reached a lot of things that I was interested to, uh, in at the time. So like it mm. really jolted with me. And then I, I think I've read it I read it then and then Obviously, watching The Dark Knight and seeing all the similarities, I think I read it again after that, so maybe two thousand, late two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and then since then I haven't read it since now. And it, yeah. it, it is uh, to like summarize because I've been going on rereading it now. It is really interesting because a lot of the things I still think it's uh, an amazing book and its placing time is uh, like deserved. But it's funny because like my tastes of that stuff. Uh, even by the time that like Hush first came out, I was not tired, but I was a, a little bit like oh, I'd rather we focus on particular rogues rather than uh, like the delight of rogues turning up from issue to issue is sort of gone for me. Uh, obviously, because this comic did it so well, and, and and Hush and other comics have done it well. But like rereading it now, it's like ah, oh, it's not really what I want from these types of stories. I, I kind of want a more of a focus on like Batman and people around him and particular rogues because i like that connection yeah can i just add something from my impression yeah go ahead <laughs> just reminded talking about like how it's quite detective-y um i totally got that as well and it really reminded me of the gotham series and i can sort of see where gotham's taking its influence from this as well um more of that like detective side and how yeah everyone comes in but yeah <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that actually, because there's this whole season of Gotham, I think, was actually based. You like this was like used to cut as kind of like influence for a season of Gotham. Um, I don't know which, which season. season. Yeah, that's what I'm trying. Um, to yeah, because I I don't. I mean, I'm 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 not someone who watches Gotham, but um, I think if I'm going on the Wikipedia and having a look now, just to try and find out for you, because I got I'm at season five on Gotham, so I'm trying to remember my, my like. My memory yeah. is so bad with uh, with certain things. Like if I've watched it once, um, yeah. it's highly likely I might forget certain details. The so yeah, I probably get that checked out. But... <laughs> Sorry, for me, seasons tend to blend into one because I just kind yeah. of watch them. Yeah. So yeah. it's se- season four that adapted some elements of it. Uh, okay. Yeah. So according to, according like... to it's season four. Mm. Even just the procedural elements of like having villain of the week is mm. pretty well crafted yeah. in this book. Like that, even though I don't actually like the fact that there's so many. Like like Leon was saying, I think what I was hungry for is 
a focused look at specific villains and not, I'm not so much into the villain of the week thing but I have to admit like it's done quite well like everything's brought in quite organically and I like how mm. the different villains are introduced and what part they play yeah like how they fit into the yeah the story and their place in the story um it's interesting to hear like I guess like the perspective people are coming into it uh, from because you've got uh, like Greg, you mentioned, you've you read it and then watched The Dark Knight. And in reading it, I've I've come from seeing The Dark Knight and then looking from that perspective as to like almost how almost reverse engineering uh, the influence, if that makes sense. So mm. like seeing oh what from Dark The Dark Knight is in this in this book and having that frame of reference versus um, reading a story initially and then watching the film. So like a lot of the things that you guys are saying is kind of um yeah i wasn't fully aware of uh like the um even the the idea of having all these different uh villains sort of turn up in each chapter yeah which i quite liked so it i guess it, it kept you guessing as to you know which character is gonna turn up next and how are they gonna impact this investigation uh and bruce wayne as well um, which is which I didn't get from the film, obviously, but uh, I did enjoy that that aspect of it. Mm. Yeah, um, for me, it's the the thing the thing that I I love the most about this book. The the thing that attracts me to it more than anything else is the fact that it comes out of the work. So, run through the creative team and everything else with this first before I even get into this bit. So it's a 13 issue limited series. This is Batman, the long Halloween originally published by DC in 96 and 97. Um, it comes off of the back of the work that Tim sale and Jeff Loeb did on, um, legends of the dark Knight. They did like, um, three Halloween specials. Um, and that kind of like, led them into creating this because they were so well received they've also been collected in a trade um and you can grab those uh in a trade called haunted night which is basically three subsequent halloween specials that jeff Loeb and tim sale did um same art style similar kind of um styling and similar kind of setting and world i suppose um with this book this kind of takes the batman year one angle and timeline and builds upon that and this is set early in batman's career as we know because harvey dent isn't yet two-face and the 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 city is still run by the moronis and the falcones so it's still under the boot firmly of the organized crime um and this is this is batman coming in and cleaning up the city and coming towards the end of cleaning up the city of its organized crime element and facing a new threat and and it's that the thing that attracts me to this book the most is a, the fact that it comes off these Halloween specials and I adore these Halloween specials. Um, I'm a big Halloween guy. Uh, and B it's also, um, it's that transitional point in the history of Gotham and in, in the Batman timeline where the, uh, the, the criminal element of Gotham, the organized crime element are, giving way to this carnival of nightmares that is Batman's rogues gallery. And, um, it's, it's like almost like they usher it in as well, because it's like they, in their weakened state, they turn and, and, and in their desperation, they turn to forces they don't quite understand. 
and they st- and, and in this book the way they usher in each different rogue in the story is the fact that somehow they are tied into this holiday the holiday killings or they are being consulted or hired by uh the Maronis or the Falcones to try and get to the bottom of what is going on with the holiday killer which is the main line the main detective element of the book there's this uh this holiday killer so called because they commit killings and murders on on public holidays um like christmas uh, thanksgiving etc and they appear to be bumping off members of the big organized crime families the maronis and the falcones and it's because of that that it kind of gets the backup of these big families and they start hiring people like the riddler for example to try and figure out what's going on um and that's that's what I like about it. The fact that they open the door and they let these, these more malignant forces in. And then these more malignant forces kind of grow and fill the void when these guys are gone. And even, I suppose actually they, it's even, it's a bit of a hostile takeover really, isn't it? If when you get to the end of this book, yeah, but, it does end up like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so this as well, I, I like this because I'm two faces. One of my favorite Batman rogues. So I like this as for me, um, this is my favorite sort of Two-Face origin story next to the Batman TAS Two-Face parts one and two. Um, So Batman, the animated series did a really, really good two episode special where they did the, the, the story of Harvey Dent, basically, which was absolutely fantastic, and they handled it really well. And it's re- it's it's a really adult take on it for a ki- and even though it's a cartoon and it's a, an animation aimed at children. There's it's like a really kind of like grown up take on it because within the TAS episode they do the whole thing with Harvey being mentally ill and then the scarring just bringing that out in him, and it's the slow burn. And with this, they kind of follow the same suit. Like Harvey already has this, the obsession and everything else. And it just takes the scarring to kind of tip him over the edge. And in this book, it's more the fact that Gotham has chewed him up and spat him out, which is something of a theme between this and the Christopher Nolan films where Gotham takes the best the best of us and crushes us down and grinds us to dust and spits us out as something else. Um, and it's, this is, I think that's kind of what Nolan got from this is Gotham's Gotham being this, like this more that just kind of takes people and chews them up. Um, and I think that's what you can see happening to Harvey throughout the pages of this book. It took him and it chewed him up. It, and it's not just him. It's everyone in the book get, it is getting chewed up by Gotham. Um, in some way, shape, or form, everyone's getting fed on by this city. Uh, Gilda Dent is getting fed on by the city, um, and the best of us are dragged down, kicking and screaming, and you know, kind of like reflections of our worst selves are left in that place. I mean, even Batman himself, even Bruce Wayne himself, was taken and chewed up by the city. That's the whole reason he's Batman. Um, but yeah, it's it's this th- this theme of escalation and this theme of um, of of how the city itself is taking people and warping them and changing them, and it's that slow burn that I like, and like this even the similarities actually that this shares with those uh, animated series episodes with like 
the slow burn and Harvey's temperament and things like that. Um, it's really cool. Um, what I what I did notice actually as well in the Dark Knight movie, this is just like complete opposite, like complete sidetrack. But in the, in the Christopher Nolan movie, the Dark Knight movie, uh, the, the bit where Two-Face gets his scarring, where he's blown up, is actually kind of ripped from the animated series. And that's kind of the second time they do something like that in that trilogy, because they also had the bit with the scarecrow poisoning the water supply via the water main below Arkham. Um, in, uh, in the, uh, the first one, Batman begins. And that's also kind of shot for shot from the animated series as well, which is kind of cool. But yeah, that's, that's a complete side point. So, I mean, like, as far as Harvey Dent goes and and Harvey's downfall goes, I mean, have you guys got anything to add to that? Any other depictions of Harvey Two-Face's origin that you might have seen that you might think, uh, or any other depictions of Harvey Two-Face, for example, like how do you think this kind of lines up with uh, the stuff in the Arkham games and that kind of thing? Uh, I was just going to say that the... Um, the moment, because you mentioned the, the differences in the Dark Knight. Well, on our podcast, you mentioned the differences in the yeah. Dark Knight um, depiction of Harvey Dent uh, and his transformation uh, versus yeah. this. And I quite like what uh, the way they've done it here. I think, like you previously mentioned, it was a bit... Uh, I think you weren't too impressed. I don't know if that's the right word about how it was done in the in the film versus the comic. I think you preferred the comic. Yeah. I do prefer the comic. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think the film takes, like I said, it takes the, it takes my, it takes the TAS origin and kind of, it doesn't really do it as much justice as I'd like, but yeah, I prefer the comic one. Definitely. I prefer the way they handle Harvey in the comic to where they handled him in the film. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to watch the the animated series because I, yeah, I'm now very interested in, in the different ways, like to Mm. represent like Harvey's transformation. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a lot of them like sort of follow similar themes, but it's yeah, it's it's a really it's a really good two episodes, probably the best two. One of my favorite. Well, I don't know. Can I say it's the best two episodes because it's a lot of really good episodes? But yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> what were we going to say, Ray? Um, it's, uh, um oh, <laughs> I was just going to say I feel like uh, it's a, a lot um, slower, but more predictable dense decline here like you can see it more but it takes a lot Mm. more time to get there um and it's a lot clearer and more of a it feels like more of a journey whereas I feel like in the film it it, for me anyway it kind of felt a bit more sudden Mm. Um, yeah yeah it was almost like a turning point in the film versus like a slow decline and I think in the comic you here the addition of like his wife really helps that because you can see you can obviously see the pressure um that he's under but then you also see the additional pressure of having to support his uh his family in that sense and how that takes a toll so you just have all those uh all those forces kind of dragging on him throughout the course of this story so like you say like tazzy it, it then does become like okay there's only one way this is going because you're in such a bad situation yeah the film raises him up from the beginning and like he has further to fall and then because of that it feels like a sharper a sharper Mm. drop whereas in the book he sort of starts off a bit skeevy and you have like 
hints of him, hints of his darkness already. And then because you're introduced to his, like you said, the the wife character and like her influence on his mental state. And like you can see why he he goes to these places to and makes these choices in the comic. I, that's that's one part of it I really liked because, again, the thing that it, it offers the movie and then the movie the movie like takes from this. I feel like this adds more, I don't know, adds a bit more depth to it. Leon, where do you fall on this? Well, what I'd say is that in this incarnation, um, what's good is because you have those 13 episodes, like like you you guys have said, um, it does give you more space to breathe. So there's, there's more uh, like rising uh, dread and uh, tension and sort of like a descent. But what, uh, which is funny for like not reading it in over a decade, is that I didn't realize or I didn't remember how early people were accusing uh, Harvey of of being of a holiday, uh, which I thought was kind of novel for the time as well, because you'd think that, uh, like, because it'd be really, really silly for Batman to never bring that up. Uh, mm. him being the world's greatest detective. So that stuff I did appreciate. Um, and like comparing to like other incarnations, uh, <laughs> I I mean, with the Dark Knight especially, what I think the Dark Knight does well is like, like what Rahul said, is build him up from the beginning and, um, and keep him uh, untainted, but then having... Uh, elements of like being being pushed whereas this he's already done with the system so you kind of have a thing where it's gordon who's constantly saying oh we've got to uh stay in between the lines where in the movie it's a bit more flipped where uh just talking to batman um makes uh, gordon uh a bit a bit tarnished in a way because he's going outside the law to get the means done while den only uh, comes across uh, like joins it because it's the it's the best way to get through with the the irradiated bills and all that. So like it is funny seeing that comparison because I think that what the the book is best at creating this sort of muddied image where it's yeah. a case of like not just Gotham eating people and spitting them out, but also how. Uh, with a system that is so corrupt and w- with people who are just trying their best, uh, there's going to be a lot of sacrifice for like no gain. Whereas mm. I think what the movie does really effectively, especially in its two and a half hour time frame, is that um, it has that whole thing of like uh, live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And by because they have the Joker as their main villain in that movie, it works perfectly. Like they work in concert together uh, yeah. perfectly, whereas this book doesn't require that as much because you have, uh, it's more focused on the mob and holiday. So I yeah. think that, I think those two main versions work best for their, for their mediums. If, if you want to ask me a preference, it might probably be how, uh, go towards the movie. Cause I, f- I feel like the movie is quite clean, but like, mm. um, in like comparing this to say like the, the cartoon, I think that, this one definitely has a more, it's a bit more internal uh, than that. And um, like some of, compared to like other appearances in, in comics, because this one, it's a bit more about the, um, like 
not just the mental state, because obviously Batman's known for uh, people who are uh, insane or criminally insane, as they put it. But like with this, it's it just keeps up this grey area, and everyone's tarnished by the grey in some way. But um, everyone has to work outside of the lines, and like even like Bruce is on talking terms with Falcone and all that. So like it's it's very muddy, and uh, it you can see the mud getting on everyone in this, and I think that's. Yeah. works really well for it definitely yeah it's this this um real noir kind of setting this real noir city where people are willing to bend the rules to exact justice and mm, i think yeah, that's... there's more of a discussion about that in in film about sort of bending the rules whereas here it's almost just accepted this is what we do this is how we get stuff done and this is the, no yeah like stops to consider like, are we doing the right thing mm. Well, again, it's the desperation, isn't it? So you've got mm. the desperation of the, the law enforcement, uh, the people that are working on the right side of the law. Dent and uh, um, Commissioner Gordon are desperate to solve this problem of corruption within the GCPD and the organised crime. And in their desperation, they've turned to a man they don't fully understand, a man wearing a mask. <laughs> and then the, uh, the, on, on the criminal side of things, they're doing the same thing. It's this theme of escalation again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And also, actually, uh, I just had another really interesting thought. Imagine this is an episode of Always Sunny, where the beginning of the episode is the conversation on the GCPD rooftop. And then uh, the title card comes up and it's the gang ruin Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I found that to be like interesting, because like, following on from what Nigel was saying, um, yeah. that... Like in the movie, there's such a big talking about morality because in that as well, it's like a whole thing of like Batman not willing to break his rule. Well, whereas the Joker is taking over and like sort of hoovering up um, like mob mob people into into his plan. And like in this book, you have that that bit where they're on the rooftop talking and it's like me to stay within the rules, right, Batman? Right, Batman? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. okay then. <laughs> and um, like I like with that. I guess because this is a comic and everyone knows who Batman is and it has less sort of heavy lifting from that standpoint to do, uh, like I say, Greg, there's already this presupposed position of like, yeah, of course our hands are going to get dirty. We just got to make sure mm. we don't kill anyone. That That's the only thing. And the only it, rule is, yeah. <laughs> and that's like very different from like a comic book world and like yeah. a film world, even though it's based on a comic book setting. Yeah. And I... I do like this whole this is this is like the book like this is the this is Gotham catching fire throughout this book. This is this is the fire starting to smolder and then spreading through the city and like by the end of the book Gotham is a raging inferno of people in clown paint and whatever and it's just like it's this carnival of horrors like I keep saying and it's fantastic. And this is why I like Gotham. I like this this kind of like everyday's Halloween thing that they have going on there. Um and I like how this book embraces that. Um, I mean, let's let's just talk start talk about the book visually a little bit because um, we've been talking about like thematically and story wise, but we've not really delved into the visuals. So what I want to do is I just want to get across like how dark and moody and shadowy this book is. Like it's it has this real dark, moody, shadowy art, and that's the approach to the story of the changing Gotham. It's like old empires crumbling and new, more dangerous foes rising up to fill that subsequent vacuum. And the way the 
the art works. It's like these beautiful fluid forms and shadowy art. Almost like everything in the story is a shadow cast in a vivid nightmare quality. So, like, because everything's got fluid lines and there's all these, like, dark... There's a lot of use of darkness and shadow. And that works really well for, like, the whole noir detective narrative that's going on. But then, at the same time, it's, like... It, it just it looks like a nightmare like you know when you're a kid and you're in bed and you wake up in the middle of the night and the room's pitch black and then you start to pick shapes out of the shadows when that's the kid. kind of well, yeah when you t- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's-, <laughs> that's the kind of vibe i get out of it like where you, you start to pick out the shapes in the shadows and things where everything's ever so slightly fluid in form or ever so slightly formless like everything in here is is pretty pretty fluid like the the people's faces and things like that it, it's this whole kind of like nightmare thing like things just coming up out of the liquid or out of the shadow or you're looking at everything from below water and things like that and it just it just has that kind of feeling mm, like yeah it feels like the shadow comes first in all the imagery so everything's kind of the, there's shadow and then the shapes are put into the shadow rather than yeah. having a shape and then adding the shadow after. Mm. Yeah. Everything everything comes out of the shadows. Um and it's like Sorry, were you gonna say something there, Ray? No, no, continue. All right, okay. Yeah. I was gonna say, sorry, it, it's like this whole kind of like uh, everything looks not quite real and looks a little bit exaggerated and more menacing that way. And it works it works like I said, for the noir elements, but also for the more deranged elements as well. Like when we get the Joker's mm. face and he's got this like kind of like twisted. Like, yeah, his expression is really, yeah. like you say, exaggerated. Like it really comes through in the Joker. Yeah. It's twisted like Cirque de Cushamar type thing going on with like, and, and yeah, it's just, it's, that's one of the reasons I like it as well. Cause everything's like, a, it, it's just these, you know, like if you, um, I guess this is like falls under the Halloween thing again, because you know, if you carve a jack-o'-lantern and then you put a candle in it and then you turn it towards the wall and you get like whatever you've carved on the front of the jack-o'-lantern kind of projected on the wall in a more warped way, Mm. that kind of thing. Um, How there's so many scenes of like um, gigantic Gothic window panes, like casting shadows into the scene. Um, yeah, I think that's a, like a really astute observation, like shadows coming first. Because I never, I didn't think of it that way when I was reading, but that's that's like spot on. And like what I was thinking partway through this book is like it's one of the only Batman's where I'd want to read the Batman Noir version because like the silhouettes work so well, and because it's already got quite a limited color palette, um, which I really I like that they that it is so limited from scene to scene, and they have to like work against that constraint. I think that would look really good in grayscale, um, mm. in where some other Batman comics wouldn't, I think, because everything would get muddied into the black. Um, but yeah, I might, I might check that out after. I think but they. Then... Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Just gonna say, I think they use color really well, like their use of color and use of lack of color, um, because when you're in sort of like a daytime, non-shadowy uh, kind of event, so like when Selena and Bruce are talking. Or it's sort of like everyone's main, their sort of social life spots. Uh, there is a lot of colour and it's less shadowy. So it really helps with how the story flows and how you know what 
significance this part of the story plays in it. Mm. Mm. And it, it kind of then goes to the opposite end when you see like the holiday actually kills someone and it's just like black and white, uh, except for maybe like when he leaves an object uh, on the scene and then that's in color. But yeah, when just thinking about like, you know, you go from, you know, what limited color there is uh, from like a social setting to the next victim and it's just like represented in black and white. And I don't know if it does it for every killing, but I think the panel- paneling as well just goes to like sort of the square, uh, I think like six panels on a page and it's just like each aspect of the killing to the placement of that particular sort of holiday related object. Yeah. Yeah, I will and it's also. Like... Oh, sorry, continue. No, I was just going to add a little thing. Just, um, just my general appreciation of the holiday killer for reminding me that uh, dates on the calendar do exist. Um, I did actually quite like that, uh, being reminded that there is such a thing as Halloween, as uh, Christmas, <laughs> as um, Valentine's Day, and so on. And I feel that was pretty good. It was quite needed yeah. in these times. Exactly. Yeah. Calendar man. Yeah. The hero, the hero you need. <laughs> You should be given a medal, I, I think. I think yeah. they, they missed the trick on this. Yeah. No, I did want to say that I think I think that is my favorite construction in this whole comic is the way that they they preserve like the uh, the black and white with the splashes of color for the murders. And then there's I'm sure there's one point towards the end of the comic where like they they subvert or corrupt that where it's um where it's normally like outside outside of viewership it's like we get to see something that the characters like batman and gordon etc aren't seeing um because we we see the murders as they actually are we're seeing what is happening to these people and it's the truth and then there's moments later on where that's corrupted because we're seeing people's interpretation of what happened we see like somebody describing what they think happened and then we get to see somebody else's description of what they think happened i think it's when um somebody's accusing selena of being the murderer and you you see selena or catwoman dressed up in like the the trench coat and the hat and everything Mm. and like and i liked how it it takes that one moment to flip it on its head and you kind of have to wrestle with is are we seeing like the actual truth or you know what's actually happening there i thought i like when things set up these stories or set up these constructions and then flip them on their head at one point to make you question it yeah that when the riddle came in yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. probably. I did feel that as well. Like, I was constantly like, who, like, I don't actually know who the killer is. Like, <laughs> I've not read this comic, so it could be anyone. It doesn't have to, um, yeah, be who I think it is. And so I was constantly there, like, because they did use the drawings um, and the colours as the representation of whoever was sort of figuring it out at different points. And I was like, oh, and the way that Calendar Man's always like he and she, but in the same sentence. So I'm like, is it a guy or a girl? Like, I'm so confused <laughs> <laughs> and constantly like had me on the on the edge. Yes. And I think that pays off really well as well. Mm. Um, it's, it's like Calendar Man already knows. <laughs> The funny thing is, like, I have read this book before and I totally forgot, um, you know, what the twists and turns were. And, like, yeah. I'm always, I'm often slightly disappointed at how Batman stories aren't always really good, like, murder mysteries. I expect, like, Agatha Christie-style stuff. And it's, like, I want Agatha Christie murder mystery, but with, uh, like, 
hyper hyper real comic book characters and i very rarely get that but this one sort of lent more in that direction and i was i was really drawn in towards the end of the comic i think my uh, if i can jump back to like broader criticism i think the first half of this comic doesn't really work for me because all it's to me all it feels like it's doing is setting up a lot of pieces and being like very construction first it's like they came up with a a concept of you know what if somebody was murdered on every holiday and then they fit a bunch of you know the villains from the rogues gallery around that like i'm probably wrong i'm sure you guys have other thoughts on that but that's how it felt to me at the at the start but then i thought towards the latter half of the comic it really starts paying off and yeah i actually really enjoyed the mystery in this one mm. i guess you need you need that first part to i set up the um the idea of the mystery and to put the ple- the pieces in place to maybe distract the reader or um at least lead the characters down you know one path or the other and then start sort of dropping things in place towards the end i guess like one one part needs the other which is totally fair um i just feel like i wasn't entertained in the first four mm. or five issues whereas i i think once it started paying off i was really much more into it okay yeah that's interesting like, then it's like a question of the balance really like how how mm. much do you need to set up before you then start paying off certain certain parts i feel like when the payoff is good and i feel like it is good in this I don't mind being a little bit bored at the beginning, uh, as long as the beginning's not too long. I don't think it felt too long. Yeah, I I mean, I was going to go back to the, the, the holiday murders. So when it shows you the murders at the end of each issue, and um, you brought up a good point with the, the, the six panel thing, Nigel. Um, as I was going to add to that by saying that these bits are also silent as well as black and white. Mm. So they, they, they kind of keep them silent panels and it just kind of adds to the kind of like the breath holding thing. Like yeah, definitely. Reading, yeah, the silence when you're reading it, it's like holding your breath and listening to your own heartbeat as it happens. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah, I definitely felt that as well. Yeah. And of Columbo, like, you know, when you get to see that what's happening and then the the mystery is about like how how Columbo unravels it. And like, yeah. the, like to me, it felt like when those black and white scenes came up, it was like happening in slow motion. There's something I don't know. There's something that's that sold that aspect to me really well. Like, I think holding your breath is a really good way to put it. Because mm. some of it's from killer POV as well. Is it Dario Argento that does that with his films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the killer killer point of view. Where, like, you're getting stabbings from off screen and we're, like, we're following yeah. the person, yeah. Yeah. It it kind of does a little bit of that as well, doesn't it? Which I quite liked. Um, but, yeah, that was, that, that was, like, one of the most interesting things structurally about the comic. Also, the fact that the panels in each, in, in each issue and on each page are quite large. Um, mm. And they don't try and fit a lot of different beats on a page they they tend to keep it quite um quite clean with quite large panels which i think helps with the like the shadow this 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 shadow play thing that we were talking about and and all this full page work they do as well like there's an awful lot of like full page scene setting and the only time when they kind of do it into smaller um it, it, they break it down more into into less beats is when you've got the killings happening yeah yeah they tend That's to a... use smaller panels the more action there is and it really helps yeah basically it kind of slows, yeah, was... it slows oh, things down 
to a certain yeah. extent and, and it mm. adds to that overall feel and like even as you just talking about the paneling and I don't know if this is like a completely different story but I don't know if anyone's uh, read Deadly Class um, which is an example yeah. of like a, a comic which is very fast paced and very sort of moment to moment paneling which is this isn't it's completely like just slow down darker colors yeah. darker themes and everything adds to that which is really cool even when there is a lot going on and you've got the um you've got the thing going kind of like you've got like a lot of beats happening on one page even then unless it's like the killings happening they keep it to larger panels because it gives the art space to breathe and with art like this where there's a lot of heavy shadow you kind of need that and it really gives you like this this like you you kind of really do get a sense of of like the the space and and the where the lighting's coming from and there's just the just general like this warped kind of like place that it takes you these like warped windows that you're staring through into this world it's great um yeah so like it it kind of has that thing where it's the the pacing uh remains constant as we go through this sort of procedural and like this new holiday uh, where someone's going to be murdered but then all the issues around those killings are focused on the personal we um, we spe- spend some headspace in in some of, in some of the characters um mm. and we we see people like Bruce have to deal with his uh his uh both his parents um deaths and like their legacy on him we have we, we get to see uh like Harvey and his, uh, his wife's uh like just relationship but also outlook deteriorating and like obviously he's like never there so they can't start a family or anything like that and then we're seeing uh similar happen with uh gordon where like uh all of them are like missing thanksgiving and all that he's not there to spend any time with his kid and um all while they're doing that uh we are sort of propelled forward and not just by the mystery but but as you're saying Nigel, uh by like the pacing, like, mm. and I, I think that's one of the like the strong uh, like suits uh, of of the book. And um, like relating to what uh, you said earlier, uh, Tazzy, like, uh, would you say that that's the, like the pacing, the panel size, and all that is what contributed to this being, uh, as you said, an easier read for yourself? Yeah, definitely. It actually gives you a chance to take everything in. Um, sometimes I find with other comics I've tried to read there's so much going on you never actually get the chance to really take in the artwork because you're trying to read Mm. Uh, and there's a lot going on whereas this there is a lot of full page um panels and and artwork and you can kind of just take that moment and they use kind of like how a comic's supposed to (laughs) they use that to tell the story um and it just has a really nice pacing and you, you read a physical copy of this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. yeah. Ordered it, yeah. Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's a good thing to have as a physical book, I think. Um, and I think I think I can't imagine ever ever trying to read this digitally. There's some comics that I would just never ever try to to read on comiXology or, or like pick up digitally because I think I think this just works so well being able to have it physically and see the whole page and everything else. Yeah, I actually I had one point that uh 
I made note of because I was so impressed by like how the the pacing and construction on the page worked because there's a mm. bit in it's quite early on actually I think it might have been issue number two where um, they're interrogating Mickey Sullivan and you sort of see like there's a spotlight on his face that gets sl- slowly smaller and smaller on the one page on the right hand side and then it leads to a f- like a, a flashback panel at the very bottom of that page and then when the page is turned you're like full on in a big splash um splash image of batman doing something i forget what it was but i love how like how how you got to see that descent like the the spotlight gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it's split into these slightly thinner and thinner rectangles on the page and then the color palette changes and like I feel like that moment wouldn't have been sold as well for me if I'd read it if I'd read it digitally and not noticed that like how the how the color and the construction was changing on these these two pages from the top left to the bottom right and then the whole like you, you flip the page bam it's all black and blue and like a whole new setting and it's it definitely sells the idea of it being flashback plus like somebody describing what what had happened to them um is super effective so um just like does any does everybody have a favorite chapter because i i do i i have a a part of this book that i love particularly more than any other part and it's the bit where um jervis tetch and jonathan crane rock up because like the scare when when they turn up and they're like mm. kind of having these like kind of sing song arguments and stuff, yeah. like in like um, Alice in Wonderland quotes slash uh, nursery rhymes, children's nursery rhymes. I I think that's brilliant, and it's like this is this is my favorite chapter where Batman's like taking on um, the Scarecrow and the Mad Hatter, and they, they uh, change. I think is it for. Uh, I think it's for Tetch. They change his lettering, like the sort of way he talks. Yeah, comes across as a bit maniacal. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, the Mother's Day chapter, isn't it? Yes, because they're yes. going on about how uh, Scarecrow killed yeah. his mother. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's like, th- um... oh, sorry, carry on. Oh no, no, I was just trying to think of um, like a particular favorite chapter. And... Yeah. I've got. I did. I did like what they did with the the Riddler in in terms of uh, just one his moment where you know he's he's putting forward all these theories of who could have done it. Um, yeah. And then the end of that chapter where he's the one that doesn't get killed um, on April Fool's Day. Um, mm. So I like that kind of uh, reversal of of the pattern. Um, but then I also liked. Yeah, I find it hard to pick one, but I also like the. Uh, I think it's the. Roman's birthday chapter, Roman um, holiday, yeah. Roman holiday, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Just because that's where there's a lot of pressure on Harvey Dent, and like everything kind of really comes on it. I think that's when he has the acid thorn in his face as well. Yeah. Uh, so like everything comes together um, for him. Um, don't know if I like that better than I can't pick one. Is my answer? Can't pick a favorite. Those are two of my favorites though. Yeah. least favorites if that's okay to bring up yeah go ahead because <laughs> one of them is the one that you brought up i like i liked the banter between scarecrow and mad hatter that was that was cool but like the actual the overall chapter i thought was quite slight like i was expecting there to be more of how the fear toxin affected bruce but like he runs from gordon in in crime alley and it doesn't the the i don't know the I keep using the word construction, but like the way that the comic is built in that chapter doesn't do much to differentiate the rest of the book from 
like Bruce's fear-induced hallucinations. But the one thing I really do like about that chapter, chapter number eight, Scarecrow, is like when when you do see some elements of the fear toxin, it goes into like Game Boy LCD green and greys, which I, I just yeah. thought looked really cool. Um, I think my uh, another one that I didn't like. Oh, I, I really didn't like the the Ivy one. I felt yeah. like that was really slight. Like it's just. I hate feeling like when the characters on the page are doing dumb stuff. So like mm. you see this hooded person with their face like being covered up and they hand you a rose that cuts you on the hand. You'd think Bruce, like the smartest man on earth, like, you know, the world's greatest detective would have figured out that it was poison ivy and had done something about it and then not go on to like possibly ruin his, his father's legacy or whatever, whatever. Like, I don't know, that just irritated me a little bit and then it but, kind of didn't lead yeah. anywhere important. But he has um, to play the character of Bruce Wayne. He can't be Batman while that's happening. going to say that, because um, that goes across uh, Valentine's and the St. Patrick's Day yeah. uh, chapters, and they're mm-hmm. actually my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> well, before, before it, like, so, because I want to let you end on a high note with that. The thing I loved about like the transition between those two chapters is it went, like, it introduces the colour green and then goes into St. Patrick's Day, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um so yeah, they're kind of like my two favorite chapters. Uh and kind of because of the reasons why you don't like them. Which is fair. It's kind of like when when Bruce is around Selena or Batman's around Catwoman, either way he acts differently. Uh his he's always sort of thrown off slightly. Um regardless of if it's, you know, um, with or without the masks. And then he sort of, like, does this, there's this, like, sort of play on on who buys who the rose. Um, and then, yeah, and then we go into the green, and I like the transition to the green and just the way they sort of portray his, like, um, Poison Ivy's influence on him there. Uh, he just kind of ignores Selena, and I think each panel in that was done really well uh, and getting that across. I feel like I could have not read any of the text in that whole chapter. I knew exactly what was happening. Uh, yeah, that that's, actually that's... has. Oh, sorry, I was oh. going to say actually has one of my favourite pages. Um, is it where they're sitting at the dining table and you've got Bruce one end and Poison over the other, and? Yeah all the ivy is just growing up around them. I'm just looking yeah. for it now. Yeah. yeah. There's a few, few pages like that where it's just the interaction of like poison ivy is just leaves are, are just there. It's just green yeah. kind of like growing towards and then just like black Bruce Wayne or Batman, just the yeah. darkness. <laughs> and then this gorgeous double page spread when Catwoman just jumps on the table and ruins everything. And it's like, I've seen this before. I could reenact this. It's when my cat jumps up on the table and eating dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was going to say, like for the same reasons, Ray, that you enjoy, you, you you mentioned that you liked the visuals in the Scarecrow chapter. That's that's one of the reasons I was going to say I liked it because I like it when they're doing the fear toxin thing. I like the double page spread of uh, the Ketzer Scarecrow on the horse and the horse rearing up when he makes his escape and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, I was just thinking of another moment or chapter yeah. that I did quite like is the Christmas chapter for uh, 
Was that? The, I think it's the introduction of, of the Joker in the story. But then, yeah. um, also, I was like in in comic book stories where they have these kind of human moments or human relatable moments, and I think it's one of the first times where the the case, as it were, starts to really hit on uh, the Dents's uh, sort of home life, and I think Joker shows up in his house, and just as a human moment, you can understand like a stranger in your house, and you can really. Uh, relate to and empathize with, with that that fear of of this stranger uh i mean in this case it's a joker it's like the worst person to show up at your house but just in general uh, i really like when uh comic book movies with all these you know fantastic uh villains and heroes can bring forward these like human moments that everyone can relate to uh mm-hmm. and this does it really well just having the joker turn up and then having to sort of fight and get out to protect it'll get him out to protect his family i quite like that moment in the story mm. um leon you have any favorite chapters favorite moments it's tough it's tough because um i think different things work well but it's hard to sum up like a particular chapter so just a few points here and there at first especially on this reading when uh, grundy shows up i was like Oh man, like, what's the point? <laughs> he's like, I remember he did, his storyline goes nowhere. But then rereading it in its entirety, I kind of like the Grundy uh, parts and the fact that he's detached from everything else because it feels like it's the point. Like he li- mm. li- literally in the sewers is like a society outcast, and I, I kind of like uh, with Thanksgiving where Batman leaves him a meal because they like they go down there and he's like, man, I haven't got no beef with you today. <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm dealing with him, uh, and I kind of like how when Harvey Dent goes down there, all like bandaged up, um, and uh, he gets out of the thing as being attacked by completing the like the nursery rhyme, and they kind of like how they have that weird bonding thing, and it it felt less superfluous and more sort of like he doesn't need really need to be part of this storyline, like overarching storyline, but it's cool that he's. Uh, there because he's in a way he's a bit of a reminder of like uh the rest of this like world and like Mm. who else is getting cast aside and um screwed by um like the system and that leads me to uh like a thing more so than I, i maybe alluded to earlier when i was saying like uh like in hush heroes showing up um rogues showing up because I think that it's while it's 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 cool in Hush, it doesn't feel as wide into the story. Whereas this, for the most part, when the rogues show up, they do feel wired into the story or like the theming at the time, and that's what makes it feel less like da 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 rogue of the week and more like yeah, uh, Gotham is a living, breathing city that has. Uh, some of these people locked up, but a lot of the people are not locked up and they're just going to be doing their own thing, robbing people at Christmas or like uh, going to rich people's safes uh, and and all sorts of shenanigans. So that by the time that Falcone is actually hiring these people or like um, uh, getting them early release, who knew that uh, Falcone was for justice reform, but like um, as he's releasing them out, it makes more sense because like they're, they're a resource and it ties mm. in with the sort of like f- uh, faux semi-revelation at the end about who Holiday is. 
and it's like it's this whole thing of like the like the notion that like the regular gangster mafia crime that that's like the old generation thing like that time is over and now because of the like batman and his escalation that he sort of uh thinks about because he knows what uh, gordon's uh, getting at but like he's he's in like a sense of self denial that what we get is now in the age of like the costume supervillain because of that and i, I kind of like how that one element me thinking about grundy's place in this all again kind of lets all the other pieces fall in uh, fall into place for me in terms mm. of this thriving breathing awful city yeah i am i was going to uh, make a, an interesting point actually leon like upon reading it and thinking back about the point where grundy turns up and um thinking about it just as you were talking about it actually there that could easily be killer croc yeah (laughs) and i don't know if i would have liked it better or they could have done something more interesting if it had been killer croc because they they, yeah i like that it's grundy because grundy's a bit more of a like muted character He's not yeah. the most aesthetic for that. Yeah, reason. yeah, and he, he's less gregarious. He's uh, he just has his existence, and uh, he's almost like a Pokemon. Just I just have <laughs> I just have this thing going like a whole other way of like the Thanksgiving uh, thing being um, Killer Croc and uh, like Waylon Jones something something cannibal thanksgiving dinner with a bunch of crocodiles in the sewer <laughs> i don't know why it's just something that just occurred to me like they could have taken it taken it down that route and had some Waylon jones in there but yeah i do i do like the um i like the inclusion of grundy but yeah i, I could that could easily have been killer croc and they could have done something interesting with that but i think that's just me just writing fan comics now in my head so <laughs> I, I do have uh, a favorite a favorite half of a, uh, a chapter, if that counts, because like I really like the opening to Independence Day, uh, chapter number ten, because yeah. it it like starts off with a murder. It starts off with a black and white six panel thing, and then goes into my favorite double page spread, which is like a view from under a bridge of the coroner having just been murdered, and is like fireworks going off in the background, and it has a very like noir Manhattan vibe. I I I, just, I really like these couple of pages. I don't like where the rest of that chapter goes because I think the um. The Scarecrow stuff is kind of ridiculous, mm. but that opening <laughs> is really good. I want my uh, I want my noir detective saxophone music. Hell um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that that's one. You know, sorry to go back to a thing we've already talked about, but like the pacing overall in this comic, I feel like lends itself really well to that like noir jazzy saxophone like languid. Um, I don't know, it's slightly pompous and pontificating thing that noir stories do. Like, it really works with Batman's little monologues and, like, self-absorbed speeches. Yeah, but it's even constructed that way, isn't it? Because, like, you know, like, you think of, like, the stereotypical, like, archetypal characters that you see in these noir detective stories and things, like, where they have, like, the detective, she came into my office and sat on my desk and told me this and whatever. Like, Catwoman selena kyle is the femme fatale like she fits that kind of like where she turns up in the story and messes with the detective 
like it would happen in an actual like detective noir tale catwoman kind of fits into that that slot and each of them if you think about it like the way the the story is it, it is constructed in that way on purpose it is actually it actually is a noir detective story yeah it's like you were saying Tassie, like every time catwoman or cillian is on on page like it puts him off kilter slightly i think yeah that's that's something i wasn't reading as much into when i first when i was going through it but that's yeah i'm gonna have to read it with that in view again um put some saxophone else... on and read it again yeah, yeah. maybe i will <laughs> <laughs> has anyone else got any other like uh specific like moments or like changes in color or changes in panel construction or whatever that that work for them like we've talked about a couple but like one that i wanted to bring up was close towards the end where batman drops into uh, a, a room where all the villains are hanging out <laughs> essentially i'm trying not to give too much weight but he drops in and drops some gas smoke canisters and like the world fades into grayscale and i thought that that was really funky because like you're seeing what he would see through the haze of the smoke um was there anything else that anyone like noted like that um that 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 bit is wonderful ray and that bit comes after another fantastic panel where they're all kind of lined up at the desk all the um, all the villains, like the entire like the entire Rose Gallery, kind of lined up at the desk, kind of like oh, yeah. uh, Renaissance painting style, <laughs> <laughs> saying trick or treat. And then you've got this full panel page of Harvey Two Face flipping a coin with a gun. And both of these things are things that I have contemplated many a time, getting blown up onto canvas and putting on my wall. Nice. <laughs> it's a great image. Yeah, yeah. I think they use of sort of like the viewpoint um was really well done i think the scene um just before dent gets the acid thrown in his face and um, when we're first sort of brought into the courtroom and it's like a really high top like viewpoint of sort of like not quite top down but sort of like a high angle taking it all in and it takes up i think it takes up the two pages yeah, yeah so and they sort of use that throughout, like different sort of points of view, um, and wh- where the sort of like camera angle would be. Um, I think they just use that really interestingly. It really like mm. helps to change the tone of each scene. Yeah, you make a good point with the top-down um, courtroom thing because it actually gives you it sets the scene really well. It introduces the locale really well. And it gives you a fantastic idea of how busy that that place is, right? And what's going on, you know, because the amount of people you can see in there. It's like, yeah, you, you make that that is that is actually a great a, a great great couple of panels there. Actually, that that's a, yeah. it's a good, it's a good little pager. Like everyone has witnessed this, yeah, uh, this attack, this acid attack. Mm. I've got a couple of other things. So, like, every time, or not, maybe not every time, but I wasn't sure if this happens towards the end of the book, but, like, early on in the comic, there's bits where a new character or a new significant character is, introdu- is introduced and they get, like, a, a specific small rectangular, like, art deco frame, like a black and white frame. And I feel like that's something that's there to highlight and effectively highlights, you know, new people of interest. Um, I like how there's a couple of... Not, not even chapters, but like beats within the chapters. Again, early on, where like it's uh, pages of rectangles and then the bottom right is uh, like a beat or a moment captured in a circle to like, I think the pacing of these things where it's like, um, it, it's 
Bruce rejecting Falcone's um, like involvement into his own company, and he says somewhere in the city, I know that the Roman is smiling, and like it shows Falcone's face in this circle, and then that's repeated like in its construction over and over again. So you get to see like um, over the next couple of months, like selling this this montage of this time sequence of uh, Batman or Bruce stopping the things that are like stopping Falcone's plans but also we see that he's slowly falling into his plans at the same time I think that's really cool like this little peep hole into into this punctuation yeah definitely um has anybody else got anything else they want to add Batman's cape (laughs) (laughs) I feel like just Batman's cape in this comic is just so well yeah it's just it's just so so much of of when he is in a panel the cape i think there's one panel he uh it's when scarecrow has escaped um and he's kind of just looking out the window and we're sort of looking at him from sort of not not quite from above but quite a high angle and it's just like cape (laughs) from behind i think yeah yeah like yeah just all over the floor and (laughs) and it like crawls along the floor and curls up at the edges and stuff yeah his his cape has a life of its own yeah yeah and there's a lot of moments where his cape kind of is used to sort of cast the shadows we've talked about or Mm. just really have like this big menacing batman figure (laughs) all over the place it's kind of the point of the cape on the costume, isn't it? Because if you think about it, if he's going to strike fear mm. into the criminal underworld by dressing as a bat, then, uh, you know, Go the cape way. is going to be a large part of that because that's going to make him look ethereal and like some kind of, in, in the right kind of light, like some sort of wearback creature with wings, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like that his cape, and this is quite organic though, like it moves yeah. like somewhat realistically. It's not like um, Spawn where you see like the wolf and stuff. <laughs> like it's, it's, I like that it's sort of grounded, yeah. but still larger than life. As I say, yeah. 90s, 90s cape physics in comics is a, is a uh, that's an episode in itself, I think. <laughs> uh, for things like Spawn and stuff like that with like the way capes were back then, like shoulder ornamentation as well like don't get me started on shoulder ornamentation <laughs> but yeah no um yeah batman's caping this is fantastic um leon anything to add anything else um i mean you can still talk about more stuff to do with this but i i'll just wrap up um i think this is um I kind of like how it's a story where Batman kind of failed. Mm. Um, I kind of, I love all the stuff where it's like, I believe in Harvey Dent was obviously that was um, brought into Dark Knight as the campaign slogan. I believe in uh, Jim Gordon and uh, I believe in Gotham. I, I do love that, those mantra things. Cause I think those are like core to Batman because he's like had to close the door on everyone, but a few people, including Alfred and in like such a toxic place, like for him to have the closest thing to friends and allies is um, quite a cool thing. And I, I always like different depictions of like the the Batman Gordon um, uh, friendship. Mm. Um, I, I I do like the notion of how family is dealt with in the book. Uh, I love all the stuff because 
you got all this stuff where all these different crime families, and because it was like a issue by issue thing, we reminded every issue who who is who, which is uh, which is cool. And um, I love all the stuff where it's like this person, like would they call their own son to do that? And but there's it, the question mark is there, and then on top of that, you've got the whole thing about um, like the mafia or La Cosa Nostra being like a family in itself, and how. Even like people who are in other cities or in your family still have designs on your city, and how like no one really trusts each other, no one really has any time for each other. Uh, but 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 they've got this like faux thing of like oh, show up for weddings and um, uh, like big sort of uh, talking about like oh, yeah, blah blah, like. Your your family this and your family that, but really it doesn't mean anything. And then the the, the children who are brought into the family are, are kind of have their lives like destroyed even worse. Where it, the the son who was like a Rhodes Scholar and uh, an MBA at Harvard or whatever, he's the one who for like ju- he just wants some of his dad's attention. Mm. Uh, he just wants some of his dad's attention, so he gets himself like wrapped up into this for no reason and, and takes the fall. And uh, my favourite part of all of this is how it kind of is, if you forget any following comics off of this, it kind of is left ambiguous to a degree. Um, and I, I like that because even though you have certain people saying who did what, you don't, it's not fully nailed down. We don't get like a flashback series of panels of like, this person did this one, this person did this one. And I, and I really like that. I kind of like how messy it is mm. and how uh, the threads are sort of just left there for you to to tie up yourself. Mm. The, the last thing I want to add to this actually is how it, it this this book tells this story, but doesn't just have the spotlight on one character as it's doing it, it tells it from different points of view and you get to see there's like whole, like you'll go like a whole four pages before you see Batman in a Batman comic, which I think is quite interesting for the way the story is told in this and the way that it works as in it's a story about Batman, Harvey Dent and all these other characters and not just primarily one character. It's not just a Batman story, which I really like the fact that we get to see through these people's eyes and we get to see these events unfold from different points of view. And we get to, we don't just get to see the event happen and then um, how that affects the immediate kind of circle involved with it. We see the event happen and then we see the ripples like throughout Gotham, which I quite like about it. And uh, to add add something to what you were just saying there, Leon, is this basically the B side to the Sopranos? Then the uh, the DC remix, <laughs> <laughs> or um, yeah, or or the Godfather. <laughs> so much Godfather in this. I know. Even even down is it is it even down to the way the Roman looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the start, like the way he's introduced is extremely Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. With those uh those claw scars on his face that I think Catwoman gave him at some point. Must have been. Um in an earlier story. But yeah. Um and the murder uh, in the, the murder in the oh, bath as well is it's yeah. just 
Yeah. It's, it's a, this is straight out of the movie. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that wraps us up, actually. I think, because uh, we could we could talk about this ad infinitum, but um, I don't think the people listening... Have you listening guys got the got the attention span to go over an hour and a half? I don't know. So uh, <laughs> we're going to... We're going to leave it there and uh, we're going to wrap this up. So that has been Ace Comicals episode number 88. And we have just discussed Batman The Long Halloween. And if I give you the uh, the credits for said book, we have uh, the writer is Jeff Loeb. Tim Sale is the artist. Colors by Gregory Wright. Uh, letters by Richard Starkins and Comicraft. And that is Batman The Long Halloween, which uh, is... Available pretty much anywhere in print. I suggest you go buy it from your LCS, though, because right now they could use the money. Um, And, yeah, so that's been Ace Comicals episode number 88. You can find us in all the usual places where you find podcasts. You find us um, in uh, www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. Um, you can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, Nigel, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, the best place for us is just mymatter.com or mymatter on uh, Twitter and mymattertees on Instagram because someone already had mymatter and they've me to it. But yeah, um, yeah, our website has like all our information on our comics our events and uh, everything else we do and uh tazzy where can we find you you can find me at tazzy on instagram twitter and youtube or tazzy with an x at the end on twitch and leon where can we find you you can find me on twitter at leon Everett. and ray where can we find you Frantically grinding my beans on Twitter at Monka M O O N K E H. Grind those beans. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Grind. gets you up in the morning, isn't it? <laughs> well, now, like now, you've got me thinking of um, the uh, the the locust in um, Gears of War, where they turn up with the the big machine guns. I think they're actually called grinders, aren't they? <laughs> I think they, are. they <laughs> Yeah, they literally stomp through the level, going grind. <laughs> Like, and then you just get machine gun fire across, and yeah. So please, this is this this is it. Please don't ruin my morning ritual, Greg. <laughs> Stomping around the house, half asleep in your dressing gown, <laughs> grind. But yeah, so um, yeah, we're on Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Castro, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, you can also buy T-shirts now. Um, we have a couple, well, two designs available at the moment. Available at um, acecomicals.threadless.com which is uh, our little t-shirt shop you can buy said designs on mugs and magnets and stickers and everything else that's kind of cool um, and uh, yeah if you are so inclined you can or you feel so inclined you can donate the price of a coffee at ko-fi.com slash acecomicals um, anything donated any t-shirts bought help keep the lights on here at the podcast so there we go um, Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, thank you to our guests for joining us today, actually. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been great to have you on. We'll have to get you on more often now. <laughs> yeah. Get me into more comic books. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah next time uh we'll, we'll have to get you guys involved more often now get you on for a couple episodes just talking about because we do like obviously we do these like these long form chats but we also do the um where we just kind of like talk about things that we've read over the week which are a little bit more breezy so um yeah we'll have to get you on for a couple of those sometime maybe that kind of thing but yeah thank you for joining us um and uh yeah this is ace comicals over and out <laughs>